I, I think I needed something creative. As I said before, the business was kind of rote. Mm -hmm. I was doing the same thing all the time. Uh, nothing I did seemed to make a difference in the sense that it didn't make our sales increase, but it didn't make our sales decrease. I, I just felt like I could roll along here until I fall into my grave. It, mm. Nothing would change. Mm -hmm. And so I was after some stimulus, I think, of something. Mm. And I thought creative, a creative outlet would be good, yeah. even if it wasn't something I was thinking of as a career. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Do you think of yourself as being... A creative type. So many people that I know and meet and come across tell me they aren't creative. And I just have to question that every time somebody tells me that. Because I thoroughly, in my bones, believe that we are all creative. I think it looks different for different people. And sometimes I think we can surprise ourselves and discover creativity in ourselves that we didn't recognize before. It happened to me when I turned 40 and decided to learn to become a photographer. I had been an actress, so yeah, I guess I thought of myself as creative in a, in a way, but I didn't know if photography was something I could do. Um, I had been trying to take good pictures with of my kids and of flowers and things like that with my point and shoot camera. And there was, I'm telling you now, there was really no indication based on the results I had that, that I had the potential to be a photographer. But once I decided I wanted to learn how and I wanted to do it as a career, it really did come as an overnight aha moment. It was very strange. And I am so thankful that I took that chance. So this week's guest is Maggie Smith, not the Maggie Smith from the movies, from, you know, the, the London Dame Maggie Smith. We're not talking about her. We're talking about Maggie Smith, the writer. And she was not always a writer. In fact, she has just recently had her debut novel in midlife. She had a, a career as a businesswoman. And I'm going to let you hear the rest from her because I just think it's a fascinating story. And by the way, the book that just got published of hers is called Truth and Other Lies. And it is darn good. And I think you should go get it. I'm just going to say that. Um, so yeah, without further ado, here's Maggie Smith. Hey, Maggie, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm delighted to be here. I've been listening to your podcast and it's fascinating. I'm glad to be a guest on it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was, um, so I have been aware of, of you, of your presence in the world, doing what you're doing with your podcast and um, through Instagram, because Jill Hannah Anderson was one of my early guests. And I think I noticed that you got, you know, just looking at Instagram, I, I, I noticed you and you just looked interesting to me. So it's funny that then when I heard from your publicist through Dana Kay, who I also happen to know, I was like, wait a minute, I know who Maggie Smith is. 
<laughs> and, and not the one in England. <laughs> right. And not the one in England. Um, and so I was really excited to talk to you because you have just written your written and published your first novel, right? It's publishing in a couple of weeks. Well, when we're doing this interview, it'll be published after afterwards when you get this on the air. Yeah. So, yeah, it's exciting time. Yeah. I'm trying man. to enjoy every minute of it. I bet. I bet. So let's go back a little bit because, I mean, this is, this is happening later in life for you. You've had an entire career or I think multiple careers, right? Right. But right. you had your own business. So if you don't mind, like just kind of catch us up. And I'd like to know, I guess my, my pressing question is, did you always want to write a novel? And if you did, like what kept you from doing it? Or is this something that kind of happened later on and you thought, hmm, let me try this out. So anyway, I'll let you back up a little well, bit and give us a little history of your own. All right. So, so many writers say, oh yes, I always knew I was a writer. I, I'm not that person. I, I was interested in writing, interested in reading and English and literature. And when I was in high school, I was the editor of the school paper. So I was more in the journalist uh, road. I went to uh, Northwestern to their Medill School when I first started college from Oklahoma. I lived in Oklahoma, so that was a big deal to go to a big city to the prestigious university. So I was really much more interested in the journalistic writing. Um, and then I dropped that and segued into psychology and wound up getting a PhD in psychology and being a psychologist for a few years. So um, I think wow. back and I uh, I think my parents, when I was growing up, I was the firstborn, and I think they said, um, you can be anything you want. And what I heard was I could be everything I want. <laughs> so, so I can't, <laughs> well, I'd like to be a journalist and a psychologist. And um, so then I got married and we moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so that was the precipitous to start a business. And uh, we were young, we were in our late 20s. And uh, my husband had been married before, so he had a couple of kids. We weren't going to have kids. And so we decided to start a business. So we started a business selling artwork in a couple of the malls here in town. And looking back, I don't think I thought I would do it forever. I think I just thought I would do it for now. Yeah. <laughs> it's That sounds like fun, artwork. I wasn't an artist. I wasn't a business person. I just... You know, I just wow. thought, well, if we if we need to do it, we can get jobs as psychologists. He was a psychologist too, so so we ran uh, mall stores that sold posters and prints. But up in Wisconsin, that's a lot of wildlife prints, so a lot of ducks and deer and, and yeah. And we did that for a while, and then when uh, when we got bored with that, I guess uh, we started a national company. So we started doing this nationally and shipping all over the country. And it grew to be like $4 million in sales. I mean, it was wow. kind of growing like Topsy. And I had 18 people on staff and my husband went back to being a psychologist and I ran the business by myself. And uh, he at one point said, uh, do you think you could run this business by yourself? Cause I'd like to be a psychologist. And I said, honey, I've been running this business for the last year. I don't know what <laughs> you're doing here. Kind of facetiously. <laughs> So anyway, um, <laughs> that was what I did before I became a writer. And I did it for a few decades. Um, and it, I did have a time in which I had, to make a long story short, I had someone that used to work for me that poached a lot of my employees. And so I had this kind of mass exodus of people. Yeah. And it really threw me into a spin and I had to downsize a lot. Yeah. So then it became less interesting. It wasn't it wasn't as successful financially. I was doing the same thing year after year. I was getting a little bored. Mm -hmm. um, and so I began looking into what else could I do? And I went to a writing seminar up north in Wisconsin and just kind of got the bug and started doing it. You know, I was the boss, so I could close the door and do it during work hours sometimes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then a man came along who had uh, I had known, he had been a supplier of mine and he offered to buy the business. And I thought, oh, that would be great. I'm, I'm a little young to retire, but I should probably take this 
opportunity and seize it because yeah. timing is everything. So uh, about three and a half years ago, I sold the business to him. And then I began writing full time. Wow. Whether the money will last, I don't know. I may have to go back to back to work somewhere along the way or or write more books. But uh, that's how I segued into it. And so I think when you're writing a, 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 a debut novel, it's hard to write a novel. I've done a lot of things in my life and writing a novel is is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And you're also learning how to write. Just writing a novel is hard, but you're learning how to write on your first one. Yeah. So you know nothing except if you've read a lot, you think you know stuff. Right. But think it <laughs> turns, but, turns but, out you don't. Oh my gosh. So, so you started off thinking you were going journalism. Then you went into psychology. I mean, you got your PhD. That that's how old were you when you decided to go to get the PhD? And oh, I went route. straight, through. straight I, through. I never stopped going to college. Gotcha. So it was so like just, just journalism and then you flipped and said, oh, psychology right. and let's go that route. Right. And right. did you have, and so did you ever go into a practice of actually of doing psychology well, as a practice? The, the PhD program I was in had um, rotations a little bit like a doctor did. Yeah. So I functioned as a psychologist, but more at the master's level while I was working on the PhD Gotcha. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I was working on my dissertation. So one of the places I had worked hired me as a master's level psychologist. Gotcha. So I, I was probably doing it for about four years uh, before I got the PhD. Wow. So I, I'm just fascinated. That I probably you... wasn't any good at it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fascinated that it just flipped into this this business around artwork and everything. I mean, that's just amazing. It like, and it was was it your husband's idea? Was it your idea? Did you guys kind of think of this together? Well, I think we wanted to start a business, so it wasn't necessarily artwork. We just said, let's start a business together. That would be fun. Okay. You know, well, you're you're 26. What do you it's know? Just like a, about throw it a, yeah, yeah. And we actually wanted to start a bookstore because we were big readers. So what do you want? I want to start a business. Well, how about a bookstore? And uh, at that time, Barnes and Noble and Borders and all that was in all the malls. And mm. I thought, yeah, that seems like pretty stiff competition to me. Yeah. So at that time, there weren't art, art stores in malls as much. They were just starting to be a concept. And so we had seen that concept in Oklahoma and thought, well, that might be kind of fun and seems like it'd be easy to get into. So we didn't know what we were doing. I love it. You know what? Luckily, There's something to be said for that, though, right? Because sometimes so. if you know too much, you stop yourself from doing it because it yes. seems like too much. So there's a certain. <laughs> certain... And, and, and we hooked up with a mall that really wanted us. So we ran out of money to do it. And they said, oh, we'll loan you some money. So, I mean, that's unheard of too. Wow. But I think they just really wanted to expand the kinds of things they had in the mall. And it was one of the top malls in Milwaukee. And so we said, oh, I guess we're doing this. I can remember us shrugging our shoulders and saying, I think we're doing this. <laughs> so we did. Did you, did you enjoy, I mean, you eventually left the malls and, and started, you know, uh, your, your national business and selling to selling artwork to hospitals and all kinds of right. stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy what you were doing? Was it something that I enjoyed the retailing because I enjoyed the customer interaction, Yeah. but after a while we had three stores, so it was a, a, a baby chain. Um, and I couldn't be in the stores all the time. So I had to start hiring personnel, staff, yeah, because yeah. I couldn't man all three stores. And so then it became less fun because then I was doing accounting and running a manufacturing plant and, you know, that kind of thing as opposed to direct selling of the artwork. Yeah. Um, so the most fun was in the beginning when we were the ones, we had one store, we were the ones that were manning the counter, we were the ones meeting the customers. I think that was the most fun of it. Yeah. After that, it became more of a, we're doing this and we're earning a living at it. Um, so we have to keep doing it. This is where, how we're paying the bills. Yeah. When did you get the, the bug to, to write? Well, I went to that workshop and um, the teacher gave us a prompt and she said, 
here's here's the sentence to fill in. I could never write a book about, and I put mothers and daughters, just about that quickly. <laughs> and then okay, I okay, I'm at laughing that, because ah. <laughs> because you've read my book. Yes. <laughs> And and I thought, why did I put that? And it was because I had not had any children and my mother and I did not have a close relationship. So I thought that would be hard to write because I don't have the experience. Some women call their mother every day. My mother and I were at loggerheads from the time I was able to talk, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and so the teacher said, well, now you have to write for 15 minutes about that subject. You could never write a book. Wow. About. wow. And I can remember, and I think I have around here somewhere, the page where I drew three circles and I drew mother, daughter, mentor. And because I think I had always, because I didn't have a close relationship with my mother, I think through my college years, at least, I was always looking for a mentor, a woman that was older that I could use as a role model. Yeah. that I could pattern myself after. And I found that in some cases in the psychology um, track that I was on, I had some supervisors that were older, not older women, but maybe 20 years, 30 years older, where they could be my mother age. And um, so I thought, well, that's an interesting dynamic, a, a girl that's in her mid-20s that doesn't have a close relationship with her mother, but she's still looking for what a mother can give a daughter yeah. and where is she trying to find it and so in essence that forms some of the crux of what my book still is even though at that time it was a totally different story I rewrote the book probably at least two times where it was an entirely different story wow. at one point it was an adoption story it, it had nothing to do with what it does now wow um, and so so I can, the, oh the first gosh, developmental I... The first developmental editor that I gave it to turned it back on the first page. She said, I could keep on editing this, but it would be like putting icing on a cake that isn't any good. And I thought, oh, oh <laughs> I ouch. guess I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> ouch. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, But I went on. <laughs> I am. So kudos to you. Seriously. Um, it's hard enough to write a first book but then to have to rewrite it more than once wow i used to have three points of view i had all three of those the mother the daughter and the mentor had a point of view now there's yeah. just one the, the daughter is the right yeah uh and that was from one developmental editor who says you're taking on too much for a first novel just uh -huh. pick one and um make that the point of view and i think it might want to be the daughter because she has more at stake and I thought, huh, okay, I'll try that. And when I m made that change and made the change into the plot, it really only took me about three months to write it because I was so familiar with the characters, even though they were in a different plot, it was fairly easy to write. Oh my gosh. I hope some aspiring author is listening to this right now because I can imagine that you know, you get to a point and if somebody gives you that kind of feedback, it could easily stop you and yes. you were not stopped. How did you move through that? Well, I had one friend who's a really good writer. She writes uh, historical romance and she said, she, she isn't criticizing you. It's just the book you need. You don't know how to write yet. Just give yourself permission to not know how to write yet and oh, go learn how to write. I love that. <laughs> and so I started taking conference, going to good conferences, buying books. I have an entire bookshelf of craft books that I read, uh, taking individual workshops. Uh, at that time, we could do it face-to-face -face a little bit more than we can now. But I still do that. I still sign up for classes and yeah. I, I still feel like, and also I, I feel like you can learn a lot from the books on your own shelf. You know, you can pull out Rebecca Mackay's The Great Believer, which I think is one of the great American novels. Writing and, it down. And you hand. can learn how to write from the fact that she's written and you can figure out what she did. So you have the best mentors right there on the shelf. And I do a lot of analyzing books. I have taken books 
where I actually counted how many pages were in each chapter, how many chapters they had, what they what happened in each chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, as I study certain ways of structuring novels, like Save the Cat is one that people know a lot. There, there's an old book, Marathon Man, that he wrote long before Save the Cat. And when I read it, I thought, I think this exactly dovetails with the Save the Cat structure. And I went through and, and actually analyzed it like it was a term assignment. And sure oh, enough, it was wow. exactly the Save the Cat structure. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So you so you got this feedback and you managed to move through it. Um, so I just want to, like, what made you decide to take the workshop in the first place? Like, what what was that? decision did it i i'm not really sure i think part of it was just the place i wanted to go away for a retreat it was a week-long retreat in this wonderful wooded area called the clearing that is in upstate wisconsin so that had always attracted me and of all the offerings it's kind of like a folk school so they have classes on painting and pottery and wood making a lot of folk art things yeah um and I thought, well, I can't really do any of that. I don't know how to paint or woodwork or pottery. Or, I mean, I guess it would be you go to learn. But I thought writing, I know a little bit about that. I used to do that as a journalist. I could probably do that. So that's, I think, nothing more serious than that. Not Nothing like, why don't I pick another career? Right. Just, it was like just following your interests and, and going, yeah. you know, you needed, you knew you needed a retreat, it sounds right. like, right? <laughs> So let me ask you another question. What was it that you needed the retreat from? What was going on for you that you felt like you needed to step back? Well, I I think I needed something creative. As I said before, the business was kind of rote. Mm-hmm. I was doing the same thing all the time. Uh, nothing I did seemed to make a difference in the sense that it didn't make our sales increase, but it didn't make our sales decrease. I, I just felt like I could roll along here until I fall into my grave. It, mm. Nothing would change. Mm-hmm. And so I was after some stimulus, I think, of something. Yeah. And I thought creative, a creative outlet would be good. Yeah. Even if it wasn't something I was thinking of as a career. Sure. Yeah. Did you, have you always thought of yourself as creative or have you not thought of yourself that way prior I don't, to that? I don't think I've thought of myself as creative at all. I, I think I was always the brain I think mm-hmm. I was always the person that was the thinker, the planner. Um, and even now, I, I would say I'm very much of a plotter versus a pantser, you know, which is a ter- two terms that, that writers use. The plotter is the one that knows where the story is going exactly, plans it all out. Well, the kind of person that would take Marathon Man and, and do a term paper on it. Uh-huh. Um, and a pantser is someone that just sits down and says, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just going to go by the seat of my pants. I could never do that. Uh, <laughs> I pantser, would be I get it. Like by the seat of your pants. By the no, seats no, of your I'm pants. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> so no, I ha- I have the chapters planned, and uh, I I give myself room to like, oh, it's not an adoption story because I had written this whole book as the adoption story, and I went to a uh, seminar given by a, a well-known workshop leader, Donald Moss. He's also an agent, and he read 50 pages of everybody's, I think. And when he had the one-on-one with me, he said, oh, I see you've written the secret baby story. Every woman seems to have a secret baby story she has to write and get out of her system. And I thought, this doesn't sound very positive. (laughs) I think I should do something different. (laughs) Wow. So I was getting feedback that that I wrote very well and that my characters were interesting, I just didn't have a very good plot. So I just needed to put them in a different story. And that's what I wound up doing. And and I went back to my journalism degree. I mean, there are, there is a strong theme of journalism in my story. Yeah. And my uh, protagonist who is 25 goes to Northwestern universities or she graduated from their journalism school. So I wonder where I got that from. Right, uh, right. So there were some things that I drew on from when I was 25. And yeah. Remembering back. Yeah. Wow. 
I interviewed somebody on the podcast. I always, you know, how certain people stick with you. And she had written a book from this point of view of a 10-year-old. And I said, was it hard to do that, to get into the mind of a 10-year-old? And she said, I still remember what it's like to be 10 years old, don't you? And I thought, yeah, I guess I kind of do. If you thought about it long enough. And I was able to get back to what it was like to be 25. Yeah. Um, even though I'm not 25 anymore, I remember sometimes I still like. feel like I'm 25. Until I, <laughs> and until, sometimes you wish you were. 25. Until I go to get up and I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I know what that's like. <laughs> um. So you. So we've mentioned your podcast a couple of times, and um, and it's terrific. And. I would love to know how how was that born? Like, what made you decide, hmm, I think I'll do a podcast? Well, I started it, it'll be three years ago this May. And so podcasts weren't as popular then. They were just kind of, you were hearing about them. I think they really came into their own because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Sitting around saying, hey, I could do something from home. Uh, but in this at this time, that wasn't the case. And I just... It had been in the Zeit gig. I'd been hearing about them, and I belonged to Women's Fiction Writers Association, WFWA. And at that point, they had about 500 members, and they were wanting to grow their association. They were looking for outreach programs. And I was just thinking one day, you know, I'm the brain, and I thought, oh, podcast, WFWA. So I went down to my husband and said, I think I've just come up with the absolutely most wonderful idea I ever came up with in my life. <laughs> and I explained the podcast and I said, it would it would build my platform, my visibility as an author. Yeah. It would help the authors that I put on the podcast. It would help the association in their outreach. Why would they not say no? I mean, why would they say no? Right. And um, so they didn't. They said, sounds like a great idea as long as you're volunteering to do this because <laughs> it's an all volunteer uh, organization. And so I, I just started. I, I hired somebody to help me with equipment because uh-huh. I didn't know anything about equipment. Uh-huh. And I had been on a podcast for Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, which is a group I belong to. And so I called that guy and said, how do you get a podcast up? Is that even the right word, up? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he explained where he housed his podcast and how it worked. And it really was only last maybe a year ago that we went wide up until then it was on my news uh, on my website and on WFWA but it wasn't on Apple or Spotify or any of those places so did you go back so so this is just me geeking out on podcast stuff because I do Um, did you go back then and fill in your back catalog of things that had not been on that oh so interesting that yeah. just happened automatically when I signed up for it. They went back oh, and s- swept up all swept the other. it all in. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's And good. that happened because I redid my website. Uh, I, by that time, knew I was going to be publishing, and I hired a firm to redo my website. And he said, why aren't you, like, on all the other channels? Yeah. And I said, because I don't know how that works. And he said, well, we could do that for you. And I was like, yes, please. So <laughs> suddenly I was on Apple and Google and iHeartRadio and all these other places and you don't have to pay for it. They're looking for content. Right. So yeah. that was good again for the outreach for WFDA. Yeah. And now I've got a. when I first started, I was ha- having maybe the first three or four months I was having to call people and say, would you like to be on the podcast? Yeah. Um, because you have to be a member of WFWA and it's when you bring out your debut novel. Mm-hmm. And it has to be women's fiction because there are people that write romance and mysteries and stuff that are part of the association. The The novel has to be women's fiction. So we're staying on brand. Yeah. And so I had to ask people to be on and I was doing it twice a month. And then after a year, it got to be so popular that now I have a wait. I have 35 people on the waiting list. And I now I do it once a week. But even then, that's over half a year that it's booked out. Yeah. And wow. so now it's like, oh, my goodness, people are begging me to be on the podcast, so it, oh which goodness. is great. It's like, I'll get to you. I'll get to you. I promise. That's a great problem to have. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so you were already 
working on your book when you started your podcast. So it's right. so you're so genius to have a podcast to help you with your branding and with your right. with meeting people in the industry with um I think you and I talked before we started recording about how you're learning from other people's path to publication because it's everybody's debut novel, right? So that's exactly. kind of part of what you talk about on your podcast, yes. right? I'm getting a great education because I get to ask all the, and they're all the way from people who indie publish, they self-publish their own things mm -hmm. and why they did that and how, how, how that happened and what they had to go through to people with the big five. There are, there are big name authors, Sarah Penner, who was a big seller with the Lost Apothecary last year or the year before. Uh, she was on uh, Julie Clark, who's on her third novel now. So there's a whole range of people. A lot of people are with hybrids or a lot of people with small presses. Mm -hmm. So I also got to learn all along the way. And that's also what I'm trying to do on the podcast is help my listeners learn what are some uh, ways to get published if you can't get an agent. Yeah. And I think it helps a lot of the people, even when they do get an agent, they will say, you know, I queried 75 people before I got my agent. So I think that's helpful for people to hear Yes, so that, that they don't think that they just that it's never going to happen, or that there's right. something wrong with them. That it, I right. mean, there's limited shelf space. There's limited, you know, you got right. gatekeepers to go through, right? Right. It's always right. yeah. Oh, so fascinating. And with, since this is about late bloomers, a lot of times people, when they're older, they don't want to wait. Mm -hmm. They will say, you know, to get an agent might take a year, and then for that agent to sell the book might be a year or a year and a half. I didn't want to wait that long. That's what they'll say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I'm older and I wanted to see my book out in the world. So, yeah. And sometimes those, you hear, you do hear stories. I got an agent, they couldn't sell it. So just getting an agent is not the magic bullet either. Mm, mm, wow. I have a, a friend whose um, mom is in her 80s and just wrote, and her first book is coming out now, part of a fantasy series. I'm so, I'm oh, like, that's amazing. so fun. And it's part of a series. I mean, she's got yeah. more than one book written already. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's so exciting. And to fantasy to is that. kind of a young person's. Usually that's younger people buying them. Yeah. So it's also interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Um Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. So, so you did the workshop. At what point did you think, oh, there's a story here. Oh, I, th I think I really want to write a book. When did, did that happen in the workshop or did it happen later? Well, I kind of thought, I, I guess when I thought about writing, I never thought about let's write a short story or a poem or I, it just always seemed like, well, I'd have to write a novel. I guess because that's what I read. I read mm -hmm. novels. And um, I knew I could write essays and things like that because that was like term papers when you're in college. So I think I just began thinking that's a lot of words. <laughs> How many words is a novel? I didn't even know. I knew how many pages it was, I guess. Um, no, I, I don't know. I just started planning out the planning out what would happen and who the characters would, would be. And then I just started writing it. I, I don't know. I, nobody was waiting for it. That's right. the other thing. You know, when, when you're assigned author, your, your agent and your publisher are saying, well, in one year, you have to give us another book. Nobody's waiting for your first book. Right. So you have to have the self-discipline to keep working on it. Yeah. Because it, if you don't write it, the world goes on. Mm -hmm. And if not now, when, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just thought that would be cool. Let's let's just. And I was having fun with it, so I I didn't have a lot of big expectations. I don't think I was driven for by, let's get this written and, um, sell it and then you know move on and build a career of this. I just thought it was a creative thing to do, and I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. So I was just doing it, and I wasn't doing it by a schedule that came later when when it was more formed and I was trying to revise it into something that actually might have legs that I could go out in the world with but yeah. in the beginning I think it was just this is kind of fun wonder how that works what's a dialogue tag 
how how do I do description? You know, and I would and reading the craft books and taking the classes, you know, you were forced to kind of yeah. write some pages and then you get good remarks from people and you think, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. I love that you just let yourself explore. Yeah. So. Did, did, have you always been somebody who had, you, you feel have felt free to explore like that? That sort I guess of so, impulse. since I, since I kind of impulsively changed careers a lot. Um, I think I did get the message that I could probably do anything I wanted. Um, I remember when I went to college, I grew up in, uh, not a small town in Oklahoma, I grew up in Tulsa, mm -hmm. but Oklahoma is a little bit of a, a, a state where people stay there a lot. Maybe every state is like that. But I wanted to get out in the world, and I felt like I, that meant moving away from Oklahoma. And suddenly, when I got to Northwestern, it was a whole different scenario because everybody there was very accomplished, and everybody had been editor of their newspaper, and mm. everybody had worked on the year. You know, there were mm. there were people that I recognized that were on TV. They were actors because they had an active acting school. And there were people I had watched on TV in my uh, wow. dorm. Wow. So I went, oh, I am in the big time. <laughs> wow. But it wow. was okay. It was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So there you are. D d what have you, what have you learned about yourself going through just this massive sea change at this point in your life? That's a good question. What have I learned about myself? Obviously that I'm flexible, that I'm not at this point in my life, I've learned that I'm not as um, concerned with making money. I think when I was in the business world, I was much more concerned with making money, saving money, being successful in the eyes of the world. Um, and now little things make me happy you know, playing with the dog, taking a walk, being able to get up out of the chair. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> gee, that made me happy. Uh, re reading a reader's review. I mean, reading a review from someone who's read my book that I don't know, that love my book. Yeah. You know, that makes me happy. Um, so I th think I've become more mellow, I guess and not as anxious about stuff as I used to be when I was younger. Do you think Maybe of yourself as creative of... now? I think of myself as creative, yeah. Yeah, but only in the writing realm. Uh, I'm not creative in, I mean, I dress in sweatpants every day, so I guess I'm not creative in fashion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I, I, also have gotten much more extroverted as I've gotten older, which I don't, I was not in, in high school and college extroverted at all. Hmm. I wouldn't say I was introverted. I think I was just very solitary. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've gotten older, I've gotten much more extroverted and interested in talking to people and life of the party kind of thing. So yeah. I don't know. So what the that podcast is about. a good fit for maybe you. so. Uh, I think it's terrific. I mean, because you have such a terrific niche. It's it's like you you women writers debut novels, like and and the process of getting published. I mean, I can imagine that your listeners must be looking forward to every episode. Like oh, what's next? Who's next? What can I learn next? You know, and of course, they're all readers because they're writers, they're readers, right? So they're learning mm -hmm. about other people's work and it's a new thing to read. And what's not to love about that? You know, I come downstairs after the podcast every week and say to my husband, that was such an interesting person that I just talked to. And he said, you say that every week. <laughs> They are such interesting people 
that yeah. they have such interesting stories. Well, you find that I'm sure on your podcast. I do. It's the best part of doing this. Is um, it's been amazing. I've never met so many people as I have in the year and a half since I've been doing this, and you know, I've made friends, and it's it's crazy. Is there a book or movie or person that has been an, a big influence on you? Well, my secret vice that I want to write is kind of mysteries. Agatha Christie was my first big crush as a writer. And I read, I can remember reading and just reading everything all the way through, what is it, 50, 60, and then going, what do you mean she's dead? There's no more? I didn't know that. <laughs> it's like I would have parsed it out a little bit better. Uh, and Years ago, I was in a, uh, well, it wouldn't be that many years ago, but I was in a seminar with somebody who said, tell me your uh, five favorite movies. And I wrote Chinatown, Body Heat, North by Northwest, mm. those kind of movies. And she said, oh, and that's what you write? Uh. And I said, no. And she said, why not? And I remember that stuck with me thinking, yeah, why aren't, why isn't that what I'm writing? So my second book is that. So I guess I would say I'm influenced by those kind of things. The the movies and the books where you can't quite tell what's going on and they surprise you. Exactly. So do you have any advice that you might, you know, that if somebody was wanting to write their first book and here they are in midlife and they might be feeling like it's too late, that the ship is sailed or whatever. Never too late. Uh, cool. What, what, what kind of advice? Like where would you suggest that somebody start um, to get just to get started in writing? Well, I think I would suggest they find a writing community. And that means other people that are writers that can help you. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes that's genre related. Like if they're a romance writer, they might join the Romance Writers Association women's fiction, science mm -hmm. fiction, mystery writers of America. Um, and, and then, you know, join an association where you might go to a conference or might take a class or join a round table where you can read your things out loud. I think it's nice to get feedback from other writers. And then also you give them feedback and that teaches you a lot too. Mm -hmm. Because when you read like an editor, you're reading somebody else's work that can teach you about your own work. Why is this sluggish pacing kind of things? Or you've said that a couple of times, redundancy kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So just kind of get immersed in the writing community. It, I did that a little bit with the podcast, but I'm also a member of Rocky Mountain, as I uh, mentioned, which is in Colorado and I'm in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So I belong to that. I belong to Chicago Writers Association which is 90 minutes from my house. But, you know, I belong to a lot of associations like that. And you just get into everyone around you is talking writing. And then you feel like you are a writer too. Yeah, they and say you you're the, do what, is... the average of the, what are the five people you hang out with the most? So if you start hanging, putting yourself in that community of people yes. thinking about what they're writing all the time, I could see where that definitely And sometimes help. you read stuff of other people's and you think, I can write as well as that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not that bad. Or somebody says, I enjoyed this and, and it gives you confidence. Yeah. Or you meet somebody that you feel like is on the same page and you become critique partners and you trade back and forth pages. So that would be the single piece of advice I would have would be surround yourself with writers. Yeah. Uh, and, and now you can do that on Zoom much more yeah. easily than you used to be able to when it was more face to face. Yeah. Wow. So cool. I'm going to ask you one last question. And <gasps> I know it's gone so fast and I'm having so much fun. I, don't, I hate to end it even, but I want to, I'm going to ask you a question that I heard you ask on your podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so what is something that's quirky about you that people don't know that's not in your bio? That is my last question on my podcast. <laughs> and I've been thinking about this because I'm going to be on my own podcast. Somebody else is going to interview me. Um, I have this strange habit and I've had it, I think since I was in college, 
is that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I, my fingers are moving as though I'm typing what is being said or what I'm reading or what's being said on the TV or what my husband is saying to me. I'm just type here, here you can't see it, but I'm typing it with my huh. fingers. My fingers huh. are moving. And I can remember being on dates when somebody was holding my hand and I was doing that and he would say, what are you typing? What, why are your fingers moving? And I would say, I'm typing out that license plate of the car in front of us. I, I don't know. I maybe like I was practicing typing or something. Wow. I don't know. But I, I still do it. Uh, not as much as I used to in college. But that is that's very fascinating. Quirky. Yes, that is quirky. And so like, it's almost like that writer was in you the whole time, just Trying waiting to get, to get out, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's fabulous. I love that answer. <laughs> See, I'm oh. typing answer right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Answer. Are you? <laughs> I don't know the keyboard that well. I have to be literally in front and go, oh, okay. I don't hunt and peck. I can actually type, but I don't know it that well. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. I know. It's weird. <laughs> so your book is called Truth and Other Lies. Right. Um, it's really great. I totally enjoyed reading it. Good. And, Good. you know, don't want to give anything away because I do feel like there's a little bit of the suspense novel in it, you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. there is a mystery yeah. and there is some clues to be followed. And, yeah. And, yeah. And then there's a flip uh -huh. a couple of times at the end. Yeah. In fact, one of the major rewrites I did when it was kind of all done and a, a my first publishing house, which is not my publishing house now, but they had bought it and they were going to, to publish it. They said, but you have to change the ending because you have the bad guy win and that won't work. And I thought, I know, I know, I know I need to have the bad guy lose, but I can't figure out how to do it. And they said, well, you're going to have to figure out how to do it. Wow. And so I did, but uh, it was hard because I just followed the, way I thought it would go and I couldn't figure out how to flip it but I finally did so oh, I flipped it wow and well done and well done um kudos to you congratulations um you I mean you and I are sitting here talking on February 3rd and and your episode's not going to come out until May so your book by this point in time uh by the time folks hear this will be out in the world and they'll be out able to world. go find it and then what would be the best way for them to find you and learn more about you uh well they could go to my website which is nothing more than Maggie Smith writer w-r-i-t-e-r.com Okay. Uh, and I'm probably most active on Instagram. And there I am, Maggie Smith writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. Great. Fantastic. So those would be the two places. All right. And I'll have that in the show notes for everybody. Thank you so much for it was sitting down with pleasure. me today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. I feel like I made a, a new friend. Me too. Me too. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, there you have it. Wow. So to go from not feeling like a creative person or creative type to going on a retreat just because she needed a little outlet and was curious to publishing a darn novel and starting a podcast. I mean, I just love that. I love Maggie's journey. I think it's amazing. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really have much else to say about that other than I think it's amazing and I think this is possible for anyone. You may not have the money to go on a retreat and invest in that sort of an experience, but that does not at all mean that you can't explore your creative side through some other means, through a local class. There's so many avenues that are open to us. There's free YouTube videos. Seriously, I have learned so much watching free YouTube tutorials. I don't play the ukulele regularly, but I did start to learn the ukulele by watching a free YouTube tutorial. I'm gonna get back to that, I think, because it was fun. I have learned how to do certain Photoshop tricks 
using free YouTube tutorials. So I'm just saying that it is possible. You can do anything you set your mind to. And I encourage you to have a little fun figuring out what that could be and challenge yourself. Give yourself a little challenge to try something new this week. Sit with a cup of coffee or tea, pull out your journal and start writing. If I could do anything, what would it be? Ask yourself that question. If I had no limitations for time and money and I could explore doing something new, what would that be? And then see if there's some baby step that you could take in that direction. Yeah, that's my challenge to you this week and to myself, what the heck? Um, so before I go, I wanna say that you can find more information about Maggie Smith at the show notes, which is at latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast. Look for episode 98. Oh my goodness, we're coming up on episode 100. Besides that, it has now been a week since the summit started, the Midlife Uprising Summit. It was beyond my wildest expectations. The speakers did such an incredible job and I get so much great feedback from people who participated. I, I, I'm just gobsmacked. You can still get a hold of the Power Pack, the Midlife Power Pack, which is an all-access pass upgrade. Uh, you just go to midlifeuprising.com forward slash Power Pack, all one word. It gives you access to all of the presentations for a full year. And there are speaker bonuses that are going to be available up until June 18th. You have until then to take advantage of speaker bonuses, which are freebies and discounts off offers and memberships and coaching programs and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the value of this is so beyond $97. It is ridiculous. It is not even funny. You know, I don't sell a lot here. And I just want to tell you, I, I am proud of it and think it's so worth the money and you deserve to invest in yourself. So if you have any desire to do that, I encourage you to go for it. The deadline's midnight tonight. This is Wednesday, May 18th. All right. In the meantime, have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.